Tell me, baby, because I need to know now. Welcome back to Bizarre Podcast, Dogs Must Die. My name is Grant. You can call him Chip. And as promised, we are joined once again by a guest. Please introduce yourself as you would like to be introduced. Hey, everybody. I'm PA Master, also known as Emily. I stream online. We are so, so glad to have you. Oh, so uh, glad to be here. As we talk about episodes 1 through 13, a, a big a retrospective look back on the opening portions of part four, Diamond is Unbreakable. But before we get into that, uh, uh, Emily, PA Master, yes. uh, uh, any other names you, you wish me to, to address you by, uh, <laughs> what what brought you here? T- tell us a little bit about your JoJo journey that led to uh, uh, sharing takes with the world. <laughs> Um, <laughs> I first got into JoJo back when part three was airing, mm-hmm, specifically mm-hmm. because I had always seen the old an- flash animations of a stick figure beating the shit out of a rolled roller. <laughs> and I had to know what led to this point in like that entering the cultural miasma mm-hmm, mm-hmm. around high school for me. So you got to know about the evil babies. So I got to know about the evil babies. I got to step in. I got to figure out what a stand is. I go- the, <laughs> the smoke skeleton that turns people into Swiss cheese. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but of course, then I had to start from the start. And so once I got through parts one and two, I was really just kind of, I was in at that point. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like there was no way I was stopping it. So once port, part four rolled around and a lot of people were saying like, oh, yeah, no, this is fantastic. Like, part four is one of my favorites. I'm just like, well, now I gotta. And then (laughs) uh, I think part four started to hit for me personally when Crazy Noisy Bizarre Town came on the first time. Oh, yeah. So episode two? Yes. (laughs) And I really got a feel for like, because Angelo, I don't know if I was feeling Angelo in particular. Like, Angelo really made this feel like more of part three. Yes, Um, yes. Because he does feel like a more part three villain. He's much more deadly. He's much more threatening. And he's just a lot less a person. I I don't mean Mm -hmm. that in like a, oh, he commits crime. I mean, like, he's not, he doesn't feel like a fully fleshed out character. He feels like a villain that was put there to defeat. He is much more just a bad guy. Yes. I have met both uh, uh, Nomura brothers in my life. I've never met an Angelo. Exactly. (laughs) But yeah, and from that point, I've read all of JoJo to this point. I finished part eight a couple of weeks ago because part eight was finished and that has been a ride. So it has been good <laughs> to return to part four and our foray into Morio and seeing what's going on here. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. When, whenever JoJo is put against a previous part, um, whether it be future manga parts to this or looking back at part one, it really is a pretty stark contrast just how far you've come. Mm-hmm. Starting with, you know, the European fancy boys and eventually making your way to, I am going to go beat the shit out of this spaghetti. is <laughs> always a journey. I mean, that spaghetti didn't know what hit it because spaghetti doesn't know anything. It's spaghetti. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Don't don't really know how aware Pearl Jam is when it's in the food. Uh, yeah, I'll I I don't think about Pearl Jam's exact <laughs> specifics too, <laughs> except for one thing, and that is how much of a crime it is that we got a stand that is apparently a spicy chili pepper and a stand named Red Hot Chili Pepper, and yep. they are not the same stand. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
if all of his food was made with red hot chili peppers, space, spice babies like Okiyasu could <laughs> not eat it. That's true. That's true. I can't believe we're talking about all this spicy business. The week Dune came out. Fuck this. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, this episode has not come out yet while we're recording this one, but when we did uh, watch Let's Go Eat Some Italian Food, I did ask, because I couldn't stop thinking about how Pearl Jam functions, do, do leftovers still have the healing properties? And I've been thinking about that question since you <laughs> asked it. I, <laughs> I would assume that Pearl Jam's potency is based on the will of its creator. Yeah. And I cannot... As mentioned, imagine that Tony Otrisardi would, in any way, shape, totally. or form, allow his food to be put back and reheated. I think you have to ingest the stand. I think you have to eat the stand for the the healing properties to work. Yeah. And so it depends on whether Tonio recalls the stand from leftovers. Mm. Or if there's a range thing. Like, <laughs> Yeah. I always figured that Pearl Jam was almost regenerating in a sense like it was taken from a store of like uh, this swarm of peppers <laughs> and then the ones that are cooked are just kind of cooked they're yeah. over here now i don't think about them i do not observe them <laughs> <laughs> i am not looking respectfully uh but but i am getting ahead of myself uh, it is time to declare why i believe jojo's bizarre adventure is so popular yes yes okay JoJo's is popular because it is about adolescence. Each of our three previous JoJo's on their adventure has led to them becoming the man they are destined to be, even if only for like three hours in <laughs> Jonathan's case. <laughs> but but part four really heightens that and underlines it with the bros, right? Like Koichi uh -huh. clearly stands for the potential and growth of, of adolescence. And Okiyasu represents how how uh, you are who you hang out with in a very real way mm -hmm. and how important that is while growing up. Yeah. Yeah. I that like makes that. sense. So, so I think that is why it connects so strongly with its, you know, teenage boy, like intended uh, uh, demographic. This just reminds me, my girlfriend, when she was still working at an escape room, a bunch of like teenage boys, like 14 year olds were just while in the waiting room, just spouting Jojo memes. And she <laughs> recognized all of them. And they they have never been so ecstatic to see an adult recognize the Jojo memes and spout them back at them. <laughs> I have a similar story. When I went to uh, the subway just outside of my work on my lunch one time, as I'm placing my order, getting my sandwich made, I hear the two at the cashier having a heated discussion about something. And then I overhear one of them say, okay, so Joseph is the grandson of Jonathan. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and, and by the end of it, they were just going, I don't know why people say you should skip part one. And I just kind of leave going, yeah, no, I really don't get it either. <laughs> <laughs> That's our demographic. We need more sandwich artists to listen to the show. <laughs> oh man. Yeah, no, that really that does track with the um the idea of like adolescence as factor cuz each one is kind of if not always a coming of age story, certainly always a like a growing up story. Like this is mm -hmm, someone mm -hmm. who has room to grow as a person that completes their arc over the course of their journey. After parts one and two, like the JoJo's start to get younger. And once that happens, that's just kind of the age of all of the JoJo's from there on out, I think. Because Jonathan is yes? early 20s. 
Yeah, I know, I'm trying to think of how old the protagonists of Part 7 and 8 are, but that seems right. Everyone's everyone around else, high school age. Yeah, everyone's like 15 to 16. Joseph is 19 during his, his adventure. Right, that's so, right. Yeah. Yeah, okay, I'm I'm checking now. Part nine or part nine. I got a sneak peek. Um <laughs> part seven is also nineteen. So okay, I'd yeah. imagine that part eight is probably the same. Yeah, well well, you know, I, I agree with that take. I think part four is the first one where the character truly does feel like an adolescent. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like a like a teen. Like what, what is more relatable than not wanting to go into the store with your dad? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh man, my dad's gonna start talking to the cashier and being way too friendly, and he's gonna think the cashier is just a nice person. But actually, they just have to be this way because they're getting paid to do this. <laughs> oh, I hate it, Dad. You can't spend thirteen hundred dollars, please. <laughs> <laughs> you can't spend my thirteen hundred dollars. One please. of every diaper, please. <laughs> no. But but yeah, we we talked about it earlier. But uh, part four. I, the the biggest departure, I think, even more than staying in one spot, is how relatively nonviolent it is. Like the yeah. the big stakes are school rumors going around and and moms feeling bad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, once you get past Angelo, really, the, the the stakes suddenly lower a lot because there's no longer like you know FBI's most wanted style dude fucking <laughs> walking around anymore like there's a teenager shooting people with arrows but it's, it's so much lower scale than part 3 without feeling like it is really as much a character study of the characters themselves as it is a study of the city of Morio mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. we open on a shot of Morio we're traveling into the city we're listening to the radio we get to know its famous landmarks its food missing persons rate and then at least two episodes somehow with big overhead maps of Morio exactly yes. it, it almost feels like the city is a character much in the same way that the JoJo's themselves and the crew themselves are. Much in the same way that New York is sort of a character in this film. <laughs> but, but yeah, Morio is Morio's a f- weird place for weird people. And uh... <laughs> one of the small bits that I really like about part four is just the every once in a while, the crew accidentally makes a new urban legend <laughs> via oh, yeah. their stand fights or, or, you know, makes weird landmarks like Angelo's Rock and stuff, which again, why would you make out near a rock that looks like that? But it's just really cool going from mostly kind of like globe trotting or at least, you know, it, adventures that are going from one place to another and then having one place, one inven- adventure that's just stuck in a single place. Yeah. I, I really feel like if part four were told the way part three was, we, we'd have a morgue shot with just rows <laughs> and rows of corpses. Like uh, uh, when, when Keicho says he's killed countless people up to this point, there we would see them. <laughs> yeah, there, there'd be a lot more people exploding by this point. <laughs> but these are kids in school. Mm-hmm. So these subjects are kept at a respectable distance from... <laughs> yeah, it's it's Nancy Drew. It's, it's that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. There is the threat of danger, but never any, like, clear and present danger. I mean, no dogs have been harmed since Morio's only cop died. Yeah. I'm, I'm just saying. <laughs> yeah. That one dog exploded, but it was a good explosion. Yeah, that, 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 was, that dog was supposed to explode. <laughs> <laughs> it was all part of the healing process. Oh, I was going to say I've held out long enough. I want to talk about Okiyasu Nijimura. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay, yeah, let's, let's Absolutely. go for it. 
I really, uh, we knew that Okiyasu was going to be a part of the party from the moment that he kind of popped up in the intro, mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. I don't think I was quite prepared for just how much he immediately integrates himself into Josuke's life after getting <laughs> the shit beaten out of him, just immediately. He will not take no for an answer. He's not aware there's even a question. Yeah. <laughs> Okiyasu's great because he keeps saying he's dumb, but given the, like, frequent, like, out-of-the-box uses of his stand and the fact that he's <laughs> figured out being able to use this vacuum effect, he's clearly not, but he does mm -hmm, have some mm -hmm. problems with that from years and years of his brother telling him that he is. So he's kind yeah. of bought into it and doesn't mind. And I think that's <laughs> the part that really rules about Okiyasu is that he's just embraced it wholeheartedly. <laughs> Yeah, like, he's not good at school. There's a lot of facts he does not know. But that doesn't mean he's as dumb as he says he is. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And the hand is just... I can't imagine that the hand was not born out of a Rocky killing off Vanilla Ice and then immediately going, wait, fuck, I had more I wanted to do with that idea. Come yeah, back. yep. I mean, he even in the anime, he uses the same sound effect as Vanilla Ice's stand. And what a sound effect it is. Yeah, I, I love that sound. We have not talked enough about the face of the hand. A fucking weird face that's still really cool. Yeah, his little triangle mouth. Really tiny. I would like to see the hand try to talk. <laughs> it just makes the buzzing noise. Yeah. That, that's how that noise is made. It would look like that one Akewood strip. Like, no, no, don't, don't open your mouth. No. <laughs> oh, no. Hey, come check, the, check out what happens when the hand talks. It's really fucked up. <laughs> close that mouth close it <laughs> like the hand's head design and parts of it that are i really forget how much of the hand is punch ghost because of how much the hand does not matter outside of its massive hand yeah yeah <laughs> his head looks like the cap to a marker it's ridged like that yes, I finally figured it out. i was thinking the head of a tube of toothpaste but yeah it's all i've always had such a hard time trying to find words to describe succinctly what the ha the hand's head is shaped like He's peeking out from a marker cap. Yes, yes. <laughs> you unscrew his head and then you, you spread the white out on the little brush. <laughs> the hand is probably one of my favorite stands, which is pretty funny because in comparison to most other main cast members, the hand does not do much. No. <laughs> Just like it doesn't show up in fights too often. But also, I guess that's more maybe because part four's fights are far less physical. Yeah. Yeah, more often the fights in part four are a bomb to defuse as opposed to someone to defeat in active combat. Yeah. There's a situation that you have to figure out the rules to before you can immediately send it away. Yeah. It, it is interesting how, like, towards, you know, the, the halfway point and beyond of part three, we were talking about how, you know, the way stands have changed so much over that point uh, uh, that the the hero stands seem out of place and underpowered compared to what stands can be. And like, yeah, uh, the, the hand especially, and even crazy diamond seem very much like late part three stands mm -hmm. and they might be just uh, the same sort of fish out of water by the time we get to mid and late part four. Yeah. Yeah. I almost feel like as soon as Iraqi figures out that he wants them to have a power, and to build their entire, like, moveset around that power, like, a single concept, like, bringing things back together or erasing things from existence, then the stand starts to more take form, as opposed mm -hmm. to the very early, 
Well, it has different types of attacks, and they're all very carefully named, because they're <laughs> very cool, and they all have lots of heroic moves they can pull off. I mean, that disappeared even in maybe like a quarter or halfway through part three, but yeah. It's, we got it's, Crossfire Hurricane and nothing else. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a lot different from the early days of Avdol, who had named attacks. Avdol has fire? Question mark? Ability yeah. to do things with fire. And, like, that could be cool. You could do things with it. They didn't. You could. The possibility was there. Came up that really, 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 really late, late uh, ability of the life-detecting flame compass. <laughs> okay. Yeah. No, that, <laughs> it can do that now. Don't worry about it. Mm-hmm. Oh, shit. I'm dead now. Whereas I, I feel like now that compass would be an entire stand. It would be yeah. a very nonviolent stand ability that someone just has. Yeah, yeah. It's, just, it's a, a compass that either detects life or or maybe a compass that searches for whatever the user is thinking of or something like that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Maybe we would get a cat burglar or a search and rescue guy or mm-hmm. like anybody could have that stand and do some weird shit with it. Yeah. I really like that part for... At least up until this, up to this part of part four, um, most of the stand users are just like, "Oops, a normal person got a hold of supernatural power, and they're going a little crazy with it." And you just got to <laughs> tell them to fucking knock that shit off, and then they're nice again. But I also like that there's a couple instances in part four of just like people who don't even become corrupted by the power, and it's just like, "Well, what if a chef just had supernatural powers? What if?" <laughs> You know, yes. what, you know, because he was just a guy who got a stand naturally at some point. Or what if you were born with a stand? What what the fuck is that like? And that's how you get a story like The Invisible Baby. Um, <laughs> we left behind the evil baby, and now we just have an inconvenient baby. A mischievous <laughs> baby. Yeah. Yeah, you've just got all of these... Again, they're, they're not enemy combatants. They're just people. Yeah. These are just folks who have gotten this power. It's a pretty lucky coincidence that, you know, Chili Pepper, of course, was named when the band first blew up, right? <laughs> but the story is set when they came back to, to the top of the charts with Californication. Oh, yeah. What a weird, co- like, what a called shot that, yeah, Red Hot Chili Peppers are going to be huge in 1999. <laughs> Damn, you did it. That's a Rocky stand power, actually. <laughs> Whatever band he writes about in his stories will become popular in the year that story is set. <laughs> God, can you imagine Araki just finding, like... The, the other thing that's kind of weird about future parts without delving too far into it is seeing names that I've known for longer. Like, as a child, uh, Red Hot Chili Peppers were a thing while I was growing up, yes. But they were pretty always... Like, they were firmly a thing already when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. But you see names of, like artists and bands who have come into being since then and you're just like oh this is this is now this is still being made i (laughs) I recognize this in a way that i didn't before it's weird it kind of draws directly into the light how old jojo's is like as a Mm -hmm. concept it's been existing for like 40 years now close to it close to it yeah that's that's nuts like, it's wild to be working on something like this for this long and still, you know, I haven't seen the later parts, but still somehow keeping it fresh, it seems. Yeah, uh, it's definitely fresh. <laughs> <laughs> Tonio demands it. Uh, of course. Going a little bit further in the timeline, uh, passing the Nijimura brothers and going directly to uh, Koichi. Mm-hmm. First off, 
I adore the Koichi pose he has in the intro for like two episodes before oh, yeah. Echoes shows up. <laughs> where everybody I'm, else I'm just is gonna stand like stand. this. Just like imagine just there's something happening over here. I'm gonna do this thing. I'm imagining that Koichi does that just because he sees all of his friends doing their cool weird stand pose. He's like, I don't know why they do that, but I think I'm gonna do it too. How does Okiyasu <laughs> lean 30 degrees to the side like that? I don't get it. Uh, but I also, you actually did hit the nail on the head back in the episode with mentioning that Koichi was Gohan. In that, oh, I'm yeah. mm-hmm. pretty sure Koichi is directly inspired from Gohan. Yeah, he was always my favorite. <laughs> yes. Um, one thing I don't hit as much though was that very directly as well. Echoes is a reference to Cell. Oh, hatching from the egg, evolving through multiple forms. That that makes sense. That, yeah. yeah, yeah. Being pretty Even, green. <laughs> Yeah, green, got the tail, Stinger all that Stinger on the jazz. tail, yeah yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. He's just, he's very much a Dragon Ball and then has an entirely different power set that works out really well. But Echoes is also just a really good example of like a really weird stand being given to our protagonist. Like, how do we use this? We have yeah. the power to make sound effects. What do I do? What do I do with that? You yeah. can punch things. I can't even do that. I, I really love Echoes because Echoes to me really feels like I want to make a really weird stand that sounds like it has absolutely zero combat utility mm-hmm. and then make it work anyways. Yes. <laughs> and then the combat utility comes later anyway. He's got to grow up a bit. He's got a lot of learning to do, a lot of haircuts to try out. Yes. He's mm-hmm. getting there. It's fun to see new types of stands every once in a while. Like, oh, it's not just long range and short range. We got like this weird evolving one. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Just put a little Digimon or Pokemon in there. I love it. I I already miss Kuichi's Ku- tussled hair. I do not like the inverse bowl cut. <laughs> <laughs> I think he gets another haircut. He fucking better. <laughs> I think he does get a final haircut. Yeah. Yeah, let me. <laughs> I'm just pulling up an image of Koichi hairstyles now. <laughs> Imagine imagine walking into the barber shop and saying, I want this. <laughs> I would like all three at the same time, please. <laughs> also, I appreciate that the anime made uh is it Hazamata? No, that's Surface's user. Uh Kobayashi, Tamami Kobayashi. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He is just a dude the first time he shows up in the manga. Yeah, and then he and shrinks. He shrinks over the course of the chapters. <laughs> which I can't decide if I like more or less than him being just a little guy and it is his birthday uh, the entire time. When Hazamata says that he only graduated two years ago, are we supposed to believe him? Because I don't. I think we are. I think Tamami's supposed to actually be like 20. I, he I looks, do not he looks like he's no, 35 he's and owns a car, but this like, is a little he looks guy. older than me. <laughs> yeah, this guy's like 42, and he's just a little guy who's 42. You <laughs> like, wouldn't admit it, little guy. It's his birthday. His kid might have graduated two years ago. <laughs> <laughs> I sent Grant, like, when we recorded the episode where, where Hazamata first shows up, like, hey, here's the very first panel he appears in the manga, and ooh, he's got a face in that panel. He's a a weird-looking guy in that one. It almost feels like that first appearance of Kobayashi is one of the holdouts of Part 3. Like, his appearance. Yeah. And then he gradually grows to the Part 4 art style and becomes just a little guy. And it's his birthday. Who wouldn't hit a little guy on his birthday? 
it's always fun looking at the very beginnings of the part four manga because it's still so much still in the part three style. So Josuke is huge. He's got those really harsh like cheek lines going down his face and stuff. And it wasn't until like two thirds of the way through it before he became like an actual teenage boy. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I do feel like he finally looks like a teen, as you said earlier, which I like to imagine because you know, because of the change in the art style, uh, mm-hmm. Jotaro is also missing those cheek lines now. And I like to imagine he just got plastic surgery. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he got Botox and nobody noticed. It's not like he was smiling much anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That go that continues forward. I think there's a picture of Jotaro that comes up in a later part, and I can't remember exactly when, but it's in that part's art style, and it is the most 18 Jotaro has ever yes. been. In the yeah. entire series, like, this is not my boy. My boy deflated. What happened to him? <laughs> there is a, a delicate balance in a, a series like this where, like, they're, they're clearly trying to build up a, a community, like, not just Morio, the, the physical town, the geographic town, but, you know, the... Morio is its people, and you know our our tiny little scam artist shows up as uh, uh, an informant, and I would appreciate more of that. Like the, so far, we've been very very interested in in examining our core cast and broadening the cast, finding new uh, uh, minor characters all the time. I like more of them to come back. I want I want to see Hazamata out of the the hospital just showing up walking around and like there there are background cameos that's nice but i'd like i don't know a little more simpson springfield kind of feel like these <laughs> yeah. are people who exist in each other's lives and pop up every once in a while yeah, yeah. they definitely do continue to pop up every once in a while and I, I i believe there's a few episodes where they're a little more featured and not just in the background but one of my main thoughts of the the whole part four has always been man all these people that they beat up who become their friends afterwards i wish this series was twice as long so i could see more of those side characters because <laughs> i like a lot of them mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it just by this point it hasn't happened yet like yeah, yeah. They're, they're all still in recovery right now they're yes. they're in traction and everything to this point has been a single arc, more or less. They've been finding yeah. the bow and arrow. And also so many of the episodes have clues that they are following immediately after, like the next day mm-hmm. uh, a- after the previous one. Like, I-, I-, I get it. Okay. I can't stop thinking about Morio as anime Springfield now. <laughs> it absolutely is. <laughs> wait, wait, yeah. Where's Morio's burning tire, uh, uh, tire pile? Where would Morio's burning tire pile be? It's probably marked on that map. There's a lot of little points of interest, but yeah. no like legend visible. I wanna, I wanna find out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm just imagining the burning tire pile would be new urban legend or location that is created via a stand fight in a later part of this series. <laughs> <laughs> but seriously, it's got it's the tiny little town where everybody knows each other, but it has literally everything a yeah. city could have. <laughs> yeah. Yes. I am never going to get over the the international shipping port. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Why does Oreo have that? <laughs> you know, it's very important that a town has active commerce, and Morio is nothing if not a center for active commerce. <laughs> I guess this is made before, like, everything had to be Panamax-sized shipping for, for economies of scale, I, I guess? But what? Whatever, whatever. <laughs> the those shots that you see in in 
a couple episodes ago where you actually see like the port and how fucking massive it looks makes me mm-hmm. feel that that port employs like 50% of the workforce of Morio. Like <laughs> yeah. that's why you go to live there so that you work for the for the port. That's why we never see Koichi's dad. He, he's always like yeah. he's management clearly, <laughs> but he's always down there. Yeah. Uh, sp- speaking of boats and the people that that ride them, Joseph is barely in it, you know, so far, mm-hmm. but his presence is so often felt, and I really enjoy how much character is revealed in how people treat him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In in the last episode we talked about, I think it says so much that, you know, Jotaro will protect this boat from Chili Pepper with his life, but he will not go in that room. He yes. will not actually be face-to-face with Grandpa. Yep. It's also a little bit sad to see Joseph kind of naturally coming to the end of his life. Like, he stopped practicing Hamon, and he's just, he's getting old. Yeah. For people who have been with him since he was 19 and mm-hmm. going on adventures and beating up pillar men, it, this <laughs> is a character we've grown to know literally over his entire lifetime. And now you just kind of see him in a more vulnerable position, and that stings. But yeah. also, that just makes it all the more heartwarming that the crew is here for him. Like, yeah, the moment yeah. he needs help, it is immediately, you've got five people who are ride or die who will fight Lightning Man for you. <laughs> <laughs> but they're not going to like it, damn it. But they won't like it. You cheated on Grandma, fuck you. <laughs> You made Grandma sad, goddamn it. Damn it. I'm just sad that we also don't get to see, but I just want to see Susie Q one more time. Like, oh, yeah, uh, uh, with her divorce attorney? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, she's, Her divorce uh, attorney is the turtle, by the way. That, that's why she has the turtle. Oh, of man. course. The fucking turtle. That turtle has a lot of uh, important contacts. You, you know, uh, we've got immediately, obviously, Susie Q. We've got... Um, Coco Jumbo. Uh, we've got <laughs> no. It's actually just those two. Now that I'm listing it out, but they are mm-hmm. they are very big. Yeah. <laughs> Susie Q gonna get remarried to Roses. Is he still around? I mean, he's a <laughs> lot younger than her, so I'm sure he's around. Yeah. Roses feels too respectful to do that. I no, don't. Yeah, think, actually, yeah, I don't think yeah. he'd make a move. You're right. But he but he's definitely around because he will never retire. He he's there <laughs> until the day he drops dead. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I feel like Roses would help her get back into the dating scene if she wanted it, though. Oh, yeah, Rose, yeah, he'd be the matchmaker. Roses is setting up her online dating profile, <laughs> weeping, weeping and sweating the whole time. He's so loyal that I think if Suzy Q forbade him from dying, he just wouldn't. <laughs> Somebody ghosts Suzy Q and he tracks him down and kicks his teeth out. <laughs> I'd don't. Th- i never thought that much about Roses until we got there again. At which point, like, yeah, all right, now I'm thinking about Roses. He's a good boy. All right. He's a good boy, but he's a, there's, a, there's a sadness to him. Yeah. <laughs> he, he, he is, he's never going to be able to quite live out his own life because he's too loyal to, the, the, to Suzy Q and the Joe Stars. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> but isn't that true of every Speedwagon employee? <laughs> I guess so, yeah. Can you imagine orientation day at Speedwagon HQ? Just like, (laughs) all right, so welcome to the crew. We do a lot of work. We do some public outreach. You're going to be a part of that sometimes. We do a lot of like um, just international support, um, but it's all for one family. (laughs) Yep. Uh, 
so there's got to be an orientation video that you watch, right? And it's just about the inception of the Speedwagon Foundation, and it's like a dramatic reenactment of the founding member, Speedwagon himself. Oh, my and God. And it's just constant shots of some actor portraying Speedwagon just crying over the, the horrible burden <laughs> the Joe stars have to bear. Born in an orphanage in 1854, he never had parents. No one knows how exactly he was born. Oh my god! I want this to be real now. Holy shit. Speedwagon's birth was notable for both of his parents being absent. (laughs) They eventually get to the part where they have to explain what stands are, and they, as non-stand users, like, it's a a video reenactment where there's just a guy painted purple in a (laughs) loincloth. They're just acting out the JoJo Part 3 stage play. (laughs) Yeah. Okay, so the Speedwagon HQ has to have a a very small museum dedicated to its history somewhere, which also contains a glass display case that has Speedwagon slash Zeppeli's hat and a sledgehammer, right? And the knife hat. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, it's it's kept in the lobby. Yeah. The Speedwagon Foundation protects uh, uh, the world, and it protects itself. That's why some of you are going to be killing vampires, and the rest of you are going to be suppressing the the scientific literature that says global warming exists. Okay? (laughs) Don't forget this all comes from oil well. We all need to focus on what's important. And that is making sure gas prices don't go down. I listen. We have a foothold in like the Middle East somewhere, maybe at this point. God damn it! Oh man! Did the Speedwagon Foundation install the Shah of Iran? This is what I need to know. <laughs> I don't trust him. I don't trust this organization. Now that's a JoJo side story. I want to see. god the speedwagon foundation is such a good uh, like concept for yeah don't worry they have infinite money and infinite resources and can go anywhere and do anything but the moment that you start to pick at the threads (laughs) it immediately just keeps going yeah i love that the speedwagon foundation is never explored in any more depth after (laughs) never like part two as soon as you start asking questions, they lead to bad answers. <laughs> but this does also mean that the hero side gets to have jobbers who aren't mm-hmm, mm-hmm. the main cast. Oh, yeah, they got, oh, boy. Mm-hmm. Uh, there, there's a reason the, the top thing in their open enrollment isn't health insurance, it's life insurance. <laughs> What's the most common way of, of death for Speedwagon Foundation members? Is it just decapitation? I think just because Dio cut off a fair amount of heads. Dio cut off a fair amount of heads, and Duel cut off a couple of heads. Yeah. And Duel pulled that one guy into a canteen, which I think has to count for double. <laughs> yeah, he ripped his face off. Yeah. <laughs> Probably beheading? A lot of head yeah. and face trauma. <laughs> Dismemberment, perhaps. Yeah. And now we just get one Speedwagon employee who gets to come to town and be like, hey, I got the deets. Yeah. How much you want to know? And Jodra's just like, I I thought we were talking about going for lunch. I didn't realize this was a spy (laughs) meeting. I would have dressed differently. I'm so sorry. Yeah, I would have dressed in my other white coat. (laughs) (laughs) I also do really like that Jodoro has loosened up in this part. Yeah. Now that I'm thinking about it. In part three, one of the 
like most popular interpretations that I've seen is that he is kind of a dork. He he watches Columbo. He's never played a video game. He studies hard, but he's trying to act very cool for high school. Yeah. He's mm-hmm, trying mm-hmm. to act like that tough guy facade, but he doesn't have any one-liners. He asks Abdal to come up with them for him. And here you just kind of see him putting that aside and growing up into a marine biologist. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> Which if a, a fish looker. A fish looker. There's some point back in the the part three anime where Jotaro is reading a magazine and it's like a it's marine in the, life uh, magazine. It's in the barbershop during an Oh, yeah, yeah. The, the magazine that is advertised in Times Square in the Iggy flashback. <laughs> yes, yes. This is a whole world of marine biologists. <laughs> he could be anything, and marine biology is a very competitive profession here. There's a lot in that ocean. <laughs> it's a big ocean. There's a lot of fish in it. <laughs> I, I like that. I don't know how word got out about the world. I have no idea how people know what the world, uh, Star Platinum, the world can do. Mm-hmm. But yeah. it's on the forums. It's on the stand user forums. They gossip. <laughs> that it is taken as fact that, like, if you approach him without a plan, it's over. He is just an existing hazard within the city of Morio for any enemy stand user. <laughs> yeah. This this is our first uh, uh, JoJo set in the future of its original writing, right? This yes. is technically a science fiction story by some uh, uh, definitions, but <laughs> I think that that time skip is clearly to do that for Jotaro, right? To, to make him an adult with a career and this, this new perspective. And how much time would that take? Uh, let's say 10, 11 years, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. But it also means Araki has to imagine what teens raised during the, the bubble crash <laughs> will be like. Yeah. And it turns out they're frustrated, violent weirdos. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Nailed it. <laughs> Got it in one. <laughs> and like, it's clearly something on his mind when writing. Just just look at, you know, Keicho's backstory, right? That That's not coming out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, it's it's definitely present. And the entire idea is that... They have been raised during it, but they don't really have to deal with it, so to speak. They are still mm-hmm, relatively mm-hmm. carefree, but but they're they're carefree in a world that isn't that that is different that that changed in a way they did not perceive the change due to their age, right? Yes, like it is the generational fear as crisis after crisis happens. People are like, "Is is this why kids terrify me? <laughs> <laughs> is it because they they like?" were uh, uh, in school during the the 08 slump or 9-11 or COVID or like every every sub-generation is like, this is why they're fucking weird. (laughs) I don't know what the youths are up to. I definitely wasn't weird when I was a kid. (laughs) (laughs) I was not weird to adults back then, no sir. Uh, We were normal children who went outside and played with sticks. (laughs) (laughs) There's a similar thing in uh, the HBO series uh, The Leftovers, which like... Its first episode uh, has a scene where, like, the, the high school characters in the show who were, like, middle school during this world-defining unsolved mystery tragedy, right? Mm-hmm. Th- their party games involve an app that tells you to, like, uh, give yourself severe burns and just do hand jobs, and that's what high school is like now. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good show. I like it a lot. <laughs> I've never even heard of it, but now I kind of have to Google it. <laughs> just to find out what is going on here. <laughs> later. Later. But yeah, they're just they're kids. They do normal things. They they go around. They have fun. They 
they uh get threatened by a a puppet. They they fall in love. They get kidnapped to the cape. <laughs> All normal kid things. They construct electric chairs to, to as flashcards for studying. Get a feeling so complicated. Oh my god! You, that entire set of episodes really does cement. Before that, we haven't really seen them interacting as a group of three. Like at that mm-hmm. point, Okuyasu's mm-hmm. integrated himself into the group, and Koichi has done so by way of the first episode. But this is the first we really see him just kind of fucking around. And yeah, yeah. yeah. like the, the conversation by the pool, amazing, yes. top tier. <laughs> yeah. Just, all right, you're going to be ha- have to become the nastiest man. And then visibly <laughs> getting very excited about the, the way to go about getting Koichi to be real nasty. God damn, that's so funny. I still have friends who quote, uh, I feel you. I yes. feel you deeply. Your feelings I feel deeply. Like, just at least once every couple weeks. That that entire translation, though, again, <laughs> I would not recommend looking it up in full yet, um, due to later parts being... Mm-hmm fairly important for it it has really influenced a lot of culture around jojo yep like just around the fan groups we're what we're like 70 nearly 80 episodes deep and that is my favorite single one actually yeah (laughs) yukiko uh falls in love part one absolutely yeah or just they see koichi at a restaurant and immediately just we gotta find out what's going on here yeah Koichi's at a restaurant with a girl let's check it out let's spy yeah they're, they're, like while okuyasu is very clearly jealous and breaking into tears because a girl's <laughs> ever bet talked to him or whatever there's still both between okuyasu and josuke there is like a hell yeah get it dude <laughs> like yeah. like fucking camaraderie there that i love so much Mm-hmm. rooting for this little guy it rules yeah they just they're, they're really supportive and good friends yeah they just they want the best for each other and sometimes that means you have to tell your friend to stop showering <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> like in in our last guest episode you know the, the end of part three uh when voidberger came on uh i joked that part four might just be high school slice of life with stands and it kind of is yeah you have actually made a couple of calls over the course of this show that have proven true so far we talked about it a lot in our first part four episode but it's clearly setting up a procedural supernatural cops but not technically cops show right Mm -hmm. and i'm expecting that we will swerve back to that as things go on especially with mysterious hand guy (laughs) but for now it's not. It sets that up and then swerves away from it. Mm-hmm. And I feel like Akira just kind of leaving the scene with the arrow for as long as he does, mm-hmm, it mm-hmm. more or less does that. He, he removes the focus of the story for a couple episodes to give the characters themselves time to breathe before returning to the chase. Yeah. Looking through the, the this first chunk of part four, I was trying to think of like, okay, what what is my favorite part here? And while I really got to say, let's go eat some Italian food is pretty good. It, it's that two part with Yukako that I like the most, I think. Yeah. Yeah. It's, there's just something about it. It's pretty good. I think partially because Yukako is such a fun character because she is from a completely different genre. Yes. She just... <laughs> Just a shoujo character just invaded into this shonen <laughs> yeah. series. Yeah. Her presence creates a really cool contrast with the rest of the crew as mm. a result. Just like, she's doing things that, you know, the boys aren't really focused on romance too much, except for Okuyasu, who thinks of it openly and weeps. <laughs> but... Mm-hmm. Who among us, really? She is very... <laughs> she really is focused on, like, 
she has a crush on Koichi and she's going to act on it. This is going to become the focus of her romance. And while that romance is in in and of itself, you know, a bit much, <laughs> we'll say, uh, it is still like the idea of just like a very obsessive high school love, though. I mean, I remember the first time Elena tried to force feed me a dictionary pages wrapped around Asterius. <laughs> and that's when I knew I was going to marry that girl. Yeah, it's a landmark for any relationship. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. While I have rolled over to it, I do also want to mention the entire part four dub with like one notable exception that hasn't shown up yet is absolutely fantastic. Oh, yeah. It's all, really of good. The, all of the actors fucking kill it. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. I remember seeing clips specifically of Let's Go Eat Italian Food <laughs> that prompted me to go listen to more of the dub. And it's all so good. Okiyasu they really, is really nail good. their characters. Yeah, I was going to say I agree, but Okiyasu is just an absolute stellar highlight. Oh, yeah. absolutely. Especially when he's screaming with his mouth full of food. Like, <laughs> goddamn. No, this is my pasta prima fetta. You can't have any. Just very... <laughs> I think, though, my favorite line of the episode does go to Josuke. As they're in the kitchen, and Okiyasu has picked up the dinner, just for the love of God, drop the meat! He's <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> super panicked and incredibly like forceful, but just this is this is what Part Four lets you do. Part Four gives you this energy to carry forward. It has me really excited for possible dubs of future seasons. Like. Yeah. I, I just want to see what they do with it. I want to see where they go. I know that there is already, I believe, a full English dub for part five done because it yes. already finished airing on Adult Swim, but I have not heard it at all yet. But I'm very curious what that sounds like. I haven't seen as much of the part five dub. What I've seen does really kind of do it justice. Okay. Um, mm-hmm. I'm trying to think of one character in particular who is very yelly. Um, and it's a personal <laughs> favorite of mine. Yeah, I know who you mean. Yeah, uh, because if they nailed that rant in English, mm-hmm. um, oh god, yeah, okay, you really nailed it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, yeah, the part four dub is good, or part five dub is good. <laughs> yeah, because I I kind of jumped back and forth between the English and Japanese dub for the first three parts. And I thought the English dub was pretty decent for the first three, but there were some voices that took me a while to get used to for part three. It was a bit... Yeah. It, it was mainly like Avdol's voice, where I was just like, I don't know if this is what I envisioned Avdol to sound like, but after a while I got used to it. was like, yeah, it's Avdol. You really, you grow into hearing them as the character after a while. I don't feel like the later parts needed as much adjustment period, because the direction, at the very least, for the first couple of far- parts felt a little stilted. Yeah. But it has come to feel much more natural over time. Uh, and they stopped being English. That helps. Yes. Yes. Yeah. yeah I'm not going to lie. The English <laughs> accents are really hard to listen to for me personally. Man, jo- Johnny Young Bosch's accent that he does for Jonathan is very funny y'all, to me. Y'all know there are people in England that can do that job, right? You do know that, right? <laughs> I, as much as I love Johnny Young Bosch, yeah, like, I'm sorry. This doesn't work for <laughs> I named one of my uh, uh, all-time classic Six Feet Under characters after him. And like, come on. <laughs> His name was Johnny Young Bots. He was a uh, professional wrestler with a cyborg gimmick. Nice. <laughs> Go listen to our worldwide wrestling episodes. They're very good. <laughs> God, I'll have to. God, when, when Joseph does come back in, like the, the, the weight of history 
uh, that is just like bearing down on you and also Joseph with those slump shoulders, man. Mm-hmm. The And the worst part of it is like we've seen him be a dad before. Like early part three, we know that he wants nothing more than to be like doting and smothering and affectionate. Mm-hmm. But it is... It's not the right move, and he's uh, wise enough to know it, but, oh, you can feel that pull inside his heart. He wants to so bad. He just wants to give him a hug. Change his underwear, and, like, okay, that (laughs) bit in part three was a little weird. Yeah. (laughs) Make some delicious banana porridge or whatever. Yep. (laughs) Yeah. I I appreciate that it takes a little while before Joseph... Like, Joseph is brought up from the very beginning of part four, but it takes a while before he actually comes physically into the story mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. i like that because it makes you wonder it's just like okay well joseph's still around but he you know he's old and not relevant anymore and then when he does come back and like he's still kind of old and not relevant anymore but he's still here and i don't know the amount of time that you spent with joseph up to this point already i don't know the, the impact of that for me is pretty heavy and yeah. you real the story really needs time to grow and develop and and uh, uh, build a foundation without him. Like mm-hmm. the the same way that Jitaro spends so much time just taking phone calls in his hotel room. Like <laughs> you need to set them aside and let the new kid go. Yeah, yeah. Their adventuring days are well, not necessarily over. Not as active in their parts anymore. Yeah, and I think this is most keenly felt with. Joseph, because when I, I, I can't speak for you two, obviously, but when I was watching part four the first time, they mentioned that Joseph was coming. I was expecting him to, like, have maybe lost a bit of muscle tone. Like, he was not going to be some behemoth anymore, but mm. he was still going to be, like, it was still going to be Joseph. And while it is still Joseph, it does require his moments of lucidity to really see more of him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, just having you know, him hard of hearing and using the cane and dressed up warm in summer. It's just like, yeah, no, I've met this person, but I don't know if that person is the Joseph I know from the previous parts. Mm-hmm. But it is like, it, it, the story makes it pretty clear that he's still got it. I've read theories of people saying like, I'll bet that Joseph's just pretending to have dementia so that he throws off enemy stand users and they mm-hmm. don't think he's a threat. And I'm just like, I don't, I don't agree. Yeah, I really yeah. feel like this is very much played straight, and he will have his lucid moments and moments where he's very much like exactly the same nineteen-year-old we once knew. But it's it's a theory that is entirely believable, but a much worse story. Yes, right? like, yeah. His time has passed. Yeah, he's here, but it's not uh, his have tale. Have you to tell. met anyone that's seventy-nine? That that is the question <laughs> I would pose. Exactly. I do like having three generations of Joestar in the same town at the same time, though. It feels like yeah. a singularity is going to happen, but mm-hmm, mm-hmm. there are too many star birthmarks here. We need to stop. <laughs> it's cool to be able to see that protagonists from previous parts are still here, but they they have managed to transition to supporting roles very well without while mm-hmm. still feeling like they're the same people from the previous parts mm-hmm. you know because i feel like there's there's a probably a decent amount of protagonists where if you try to turn them into supporting roles for a new protagonist it might feel weird or like they're a different person now or like it's still their show yeah perhaps like most dangerously the introducing a previous character that the audience is very attached to and that you as a writer are very attached to runs the risk of trying to put them in more of the story than they perhaps need to be yeah 
But like so far, and I, I remember correctly from the last time I watched part four, that it does a very good job of like, especially with Jotaro, who feels like, okay, this is like the most iconic Jojo. Everyone knows him. He's the strongest dude in the fucking universe. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, he could just walk into every fight and just end this in three seconds if you wanted to rate it that way. But, you know, he doesn't. He He's very much just like a... He, he's no longer on active duty, and he just does desk work now. <laughs> yeah. Which also brings in a, a, a trope that I really like in the stories when it's done well, which is, hey, here's a guy who's past his prime, but maybe one or two times he comes back out full force like they used to in an earlier show or something, and it kicks ass. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. Fucking... Comes out in the clutch. Yeah, old Bruce Wayne coming in the mech Batman suit and Batman Beyond, shit like that. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay uh john some the original flash coming back in the new flash tv show as yeah. the original flash yeah and yeah. getting J- that moment. jay garrick yeah oh i was thinking of the uh the actor oh um, well i'm I think always it's... thinking of golden age flash jay garrick <laughs> <laughs> john wesley ship but yeah J- i do like that he may be doing desk work but he's still jotaro kujo he's still yeah. mm-hmm. there and he is still like an omnipresent threat in enemies' minds, <laughs> if nothing else. Yeah. There is always the threat of an existing JoJo. I do have to wonder what's going to be happening with the whole horse manga. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I can't figure it out. Whole I have horse been and trying. Jos- yeah. Whole horse and Josuke is a very weird combination, and I don't know how that will work. What are, are they, they going to do and why? Why are yeah. they fighting? Are they fighting? Are they are working they... together? Yeah, I kept thinking that they get into some weird weird situation where they have to work together. And it's just like, how does that happen? What are they doing? What's One of them is literally a hired gun. Yeah. The, the other is the compassionate Jojo. How, yeah. what, what, what do they even have to talk about? Yeah. I can only imagine that it is going to have to be a case of mistaken identity. Whole horse Ooh. thinks that Josuke is or is related to his target. Mm, okay. And so Josuke has to fight off this supernatural assassin, and we finally get to see Whole Horse do anything as first banana. <laughs> Who knows? Maybe he'll bring back Boingo again. Yeah, I, I could definitely see that set up because a- after that meeting, then Whole Horse has to keep hunting who he was actually hunting. And then Josuke's like, well, somebody wants to pretend to be me. It's Okiasu's yeah. dad. It has to be, right? Ooh. Mm. He's hunting down someone who used to work for Dio. Hmm. All right. I mean, he won't be able to do anything to him, but... <laughs> yeah. That it's just, it's a protect the president mission, but the president is functionally invulnerable. <laughs> Did I ever tell you about the time your nephew fucked me up real bad? (laughs) (laughs) He didn't even do anything. I fucked myself up. I shot myself in the dang face. I stuck my fingers up his friend's nose, and then a car came around. Then I (laughs) shot into a pipe, and there was all this change on the ground. And they were gonna (laughs) drink the tea, but they didn't. (laughs) Fucking hell. And Josuke, as a JoJo protagonist, would be like, yes, this makes perfect sense. I understand it. I feel your feelings deeply. <laughs> <laughs> I want to imagine that, you know, 10 years in the future, Whole Horse is very scarred by the random series of events that kept happening to him and owning him. And so he's like, <laughs> he's either like really superstitious now or something like that, because he's just afraid of random dominoes falling and killing him. He'll probably refuse to work with Thoth. 
Like, as much as I would like to see uh, Boingo? Boingo's thought? Boingo, yeah. I feel like he would fear this book after it yeah. sent him <laughs> yeah. to Turbo Hell, like, four times. <laughs> uh, now that you mention it, that is a plot, like, go- going back to one of my uh, uh, slight criticisms earlier, that I would like to see. I'd like to see some progress, or at least a mention of, of Papa Nijimura uh, sooner rather than later. Right. right? Yeah. yeah. There's a little bit with him, but... The Papa Nijimura has gotten more character advancement in that he is not a mindless beast. He is still there um, with regards to, like, he recognizes his uh, his boys and mm-hmm. is kind of longing for the days they once had, even if he perhaps remembers those days more fondly than they actually deserve to be. Yeah, and, and there was a pledge to, like, do something to help him out, and that was, what, like, ten episodes ago? Like, come on, TikTok, come on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But there's just nothing. They, they're still hunting stand users. Maybe someone will come along that can heal him. But for the moment, they're just mm. sitting here like, well, Crazy Diamond didn't work. The hand didn't work. Hey, Slug Dad, here's a Caesar salad. Let's go. Let's see if this does anything. <laughs> I am going to treat you to the finest fish you've ever eaten in your life. And we're going to see if this works for you. Okay, so if Papa Nijimura here were to eat Tonio's food, because his whole being is all fucked up. Would he just explode? Like, even more than a dog did. Like, he, he would just, like, disintegrate or just violently explode into individual atoms. Either that or because his whole deal is, like, he's perfectly, you know, self-healing and self-replicating. Like, there's nothing Tonio can do. Yeah. <laughs> there's nothing technically wrong with him. <laughs> yeah. But either way, I want to see Tonio take his hand, look down, look down at his palm and say... Hmm. <laughs> What's going on here? Flesh bud, huh? All right. I got I got just the thing for you. Hold on. <laughs> Why wouldn't whole horse have a flesh bud? Money, ka-ching, ka-ching, baby. Ah, right. He was paid. Yep. I can't imagine that Dio would trust contractors that way, but I guess he does have a respect for the work. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, you have my money. You're not about to kill me. Oh, he does respect his uh his resolve. That's right. Yeah. That checks out. As much as Akira only shows up in two episodes, I really think he's a fun antagonist. Mm-hmm. Like, he is very obviously a threat. He wants to kill Joseph Joestar. He wants to keep using the arrow. And is more than capable of doing so. Like, yes. he's, he's a dangerous guy. Yeah. Incredibly so. But he's a high school kid who really wants to be a rock star. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> who has a cool scar over his eye and a cool guitar. And he's he doing all that thing on. That's not a real scar. <laughs> He feels kind of similar to Okuyasu in that, like, man, if he applied himself differently, he would probably be way more dangerous than he is right now. Yes. <laughs> like, it feels like he's not quite matching the deadliness of his actual stand. Well, I do feel like that's almost the balancing factor for a lot of the most powerful stands is they have to have a user who has a flaw. It's yeah. almost like uh, they have gotten this extra buff to their abilities at the cost of actual character traits mm-hmm. that would help them out in life like okuyasu is his flaw was expecting a tire to behave like a tire and not a balloon oh um, <laughs> yeah by all rights he come on that's not that big a flaw mm-hmm. yeah it's a very high pressure tire you this is it's important for uh cargo work 
We need to be able to... It lets us bounce higher. <laughs> I really do like the hand being one of the most dangerous stands we've ever seen in the world, given to perhaps one of the most good-natured people mm-hmm. we've yeah. seen in this show. Like, the sta- the hand is a one-hit kill. Yes. <laughs> like, But it is never used to kill, except for the one time that he tried. And God, what a... I really... As short as it is, I love the hand versus Red Hot Chili Pepper because it really really shows Okuyasu at his best. Yeah. This is someone who has a mastery of his abilities and is ready to throw down. And also, I'm pretty sure it is one of the few times that we hear the hand's theme, like that guitar in the background. And oh, it's just, it's so good. I mean, it, it is a fight that is like in its tactical sense. It, it is very exciting with turnabouts, but the way that all of that is informed by Okiyasu's character and yes. his competing goals of you know wanting to do the right thing about you know the ongoing investigation, but his drive for vengeance and also his his vulnerability to logic traps all <laughs> competing in his mind. Yes, he is a boy who trusts his gut above all else, and unfortunately, his gut has been presented with two options. One of these always tells the truth, and the other always lies, and one of them is above power lines. Choose wisely. I like how up to, you know, the episode 13, you basically start off with some character stuff for Josuke, and then you get a little bit of Okiyasu when he's introduced, and then it kind of hangs over to a little bit more Josuke and then a lot of Koichi in the middle and then you get back to more Josuke and Okiyasu at the end it's paced a little weird but I feel like between these three main characters they all get a a fairly even amount of like growth and and a look at their characters yeah Uh, especially Mm -hmm. when compared to something like Stardust Crusaders where it's very heavily weighed on Polnareff yes (laughs) Stardust Crusaders also had six five six Six. Six technically people. with Iggy. Do you count the dog? Yeah. Yes, I count Dio Iggy. doesn't. Of course. No. <laughs> and that's but why he's, he's dead. Boy. Fuck him. <laughs> um, but it has six storylines to kind of try to work together. And that just, it ended up being a crowded room. Like, they all work very well together. It is a boy's road trip. And it does, like, feel that way. But not all of them get time to breathe. Avdal especially, like, just kind of acts as a character who supports for others, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. whether it's through, like, Polnareff's growth or, like, through bringing Iggy to the story, helping Jodoro find out what a stand is, that sort of thing. Acting as a catalyst through death to spur other people to action <laughs> twice. Yeah. Um, He's all about the assists, yeah. Morio has a collection of these supporting characters who are more explicitly supporting characters, and then you have your main cast of the boys plus Jotaro. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And we've already explored Jotaro. Jotaro's already, he's, he's an established character. He's good. We've put enough experience in him. Let's set him aside. Mm-hmm. Let us just look at these three. The, the show's real interest in Jotaro, at least for now, is how is he different than when you last saw him 11 years ago? Mm-hmm. Yes. It's happened so far in each part, but also going forward, it continues to happen. There is a real, like, a sense of almost a legacy character. Mm. at the beginning of or continuing through each part who serves to tie the story to the previous one. So it's not just, here is a new JoJo. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, from part one to part two, you had Speedwagon and uh, Granny Arena and um, the, the, the the boy, I can't, Straits. Um, yeah. And from two to three, you have, like, 
Joseph himself, mm-hmm. who is back. And now Jotaro's taking up that mantle. It's yeah. just, it's it's a good habit to get into, because it does let us get attached to these new characters through their interactions with the old. I mean, there's also Josuke's friend from out of town, Jota Kujo, and his stand, uh, uh, Charmy Green. <laughs> Goddamn. Oh, man. It's canon, baby. It's canonical. It's yeah. canon now. Araki said it's canon. I'm just waiting. I'm just waiting for the day that whole thing somehow gets fully animated. <laughs> It'll be a fan work, and it will be the single... It'll be like someone's... They retreated into a dwarf fortress hole and came out 20 years later with a masterwork. Yeah, And that's yeah. how we achieve world peace. <laughs> <laughs> They'll somehow manage to rope in all the actual voice actors. Yes. In all of the languages. It'll be like uh, uh, that, that bit from like the... A Les Miserables 10th anniversary concert where all the Jean Valjeans have joined together. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> Including the guy from Iron Chef. Hell yes. <laughs> the what? The chairman from Iron Chef. Oh, yeah. okay. I thought like they had like Jean Valjean as like a, a competitor on Iron <laughs> Chef. I, I didn't put together for a moment. Of course. But, but the no, chair. yeah, the, the, the guy that plays the chairman in Iron Chef is also a musical theater actor, and yep. he was Japan's Jean Valjean. Oh, God. Okay. That <laughs> makes way more sense than, like, <laughs> the Les Miserables episode of Iron Chef I was envisioning. <laughs> the secret ingredient is a loaf of bread. <laughs> You can only take it when the judges aren't looking. <laughs> I do love how in some songs it's a loaf of bread and other songs it's a mouthful of bread, implying that Jean Valjean eats loaves of bread whole like a snake. <laughs> unhinging his jaw, yeah. <laughs> You'll never get this sort of service in Morio. Oh. <laughs> Actually, you know what? I'll bet Tonio could help you unhinge your jaw if you really wanted to get a whole loaf oh, yeah. of bread in there. It's it's what happens if you've got like a broken jaw or lock jaw or something. Your, your your whole jaw unhinges and maybe even falls off, and then you just grow a whole new lower jaw. I have to ask: Would the two of you undergo an hour of body horror for perfect health? <laughs> you know, uh, maybe. If I were to go, I could only go alone. Okay. I, yeah. I could not be seen going through that with anyone. I, I agree. By anyone I agree. who I care about. That's fair. Yeah, That's I don't. Fair. I don't think I want anyone I love to, or anyone really, to to see like all my skin peel off or my skeleton shoot out through my <laughs> mouth or whatever would happen. They'll have a story to tell, though. <laughs> I'm never. Yeah. So, how did you manage to get rid of like that ache in your shoulder? You're never gonna believe it. Arm fell off. <laughs> <laughs> look, look at my brand new arm. Feel feel my soft arm. Smell it. Smell my arm. It smells like a baby. Well, here's the problem now. Now I have one arm that's baby it's got smooth. New arm smell. Yeah, now I've got one arm that's baby smooth and one arm that's just normal, and now I need my other arm exploded. So I got to go back tomorrow. <laughs> I guess I could just fuck up the new arm. Either way, they've got a match. Yeah. <laughs> Were you aware that Tonio actually makes an appearance in supplementary material for a later part in mention? Really? Tonio's actually mentioned in supplementary material for part five as being part of a family. That he oh, has left. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> he is the heir apparent who has given it all up for food to live in the small town of Morio. Yep. And to travel the world. And I was just like Living the dream. Yeah. I, I respect Tonio for giving it all up. I don't actually know if that's canon. 
Just a food pilgrim traveling the world. I imagine he does it all on foot somehow. I oh, don't know. Yeah. Oh, of course. Well, he's always in perfect health. He can eat his own food. <laughs> yeah. Who can you cook for if not yourself? The Every once in a while when like a later part of JoJo brings up a very minor character again, like either it through background world details or whatever, that just makes me wonder, what's Smokey Brown up to during part four? What is Smokey Brown up to <laughs> during up to any now? of the later parts? Is he running for president now? Is, is he just reelected over and over? Is he a long-serving New York mayor? For his sake, perhaps it's best that he just enjoy retirement. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, 2001 is coming in the JoJo timeline. You, you guys, maybe, maybe <laughs> you leave this one to somebody else. Yeah. When Smokey Brown writes his memoirs, does he leave out the pillar men? <laughs> mm. <laughs> I think he makes aside references to a an adventure from his youth in which he met many great people, but yeah. I don't think the editor would allow it. Because <laughs> I think it's a very formative part of his life. Like, he, he makes oblique references to, you know, certain troubles in Europe during those right. years. And most people read it one way, but people in the know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the part man. about snapping a cop's finger with a uh, bottle cap, though, left in in its entirety. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, he does not get the, the uh, FOP endorsement when he runs for mayor. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't have much appreciation for Smokey Brown until I re-listened to the podcast and realized how much he's actually in part two. Because mm-hmm. when I think back on part two, I think of watching it, like, sideboarding it as I was doing other things a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. So I was very focused on, like, the main cast, what's going on with them. And then on a rewatch, you get to see so many good things like Smokey, Leg Guitar, Third thing here. Uh, <laughs> Smokey reading the news while Joseph reads the, the lingerie advertisements. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Top tier moment. I, fe- I feel we really have to have more of those moments for our current boys as well. We have to have them just doing shit in the background. And I feel like part four wants to be that. It wants to bring those moments to the foreground even. I really want to see all three of them playing uh, Definitely Not Mario Party on Josuke's uh, N64. <laughs> I, I was going to say that Okiyasu would, would just, you know, be, be reading the, the comics page, the newspaper, but I think he'd like look at Garfield and say, I don't get it. <laughs> I don't understand. Yeah. Oi, Josuke, what's supposed to be so funny about this cat? He's just lazy. He's not doing anything. How am I supposed to laugh at that? Why do the cows use the tools? What do they use the tools for, Josuke? Yeah, that's... Even in the world of JoJo, that con- that far side strip is the most baffling thing in the world to everyone. People, Josuke writing into the paper, what are cow tools? I have to know! I think the only person who feels like they understand what cow tools is, is Joseph. He would act like he knows. I think Koichi's onto him, though. <laughs> I really do love part four so much. Yeah. I I, th- I feel like the transition to just a lower stakes game was exactly what JoJo needed to kind of get not even back in its groove, but to mm-hmm. continue on a groove that it could continue on with because it could not continue escalation. Yeah. 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 I mean, m- much like, you know, parts one and two needed uh, uh, stands, needed a, a shake up in focus to continue. I think... Yeah, once you kill Dio dead, you need to have another shakeup, find a new groove to lie in. There was actually a game 
um, of it. There have been several games of JoJo, but there is one that explores like a full story mode that does contain spoilers for everything up through part eight, even. Yeah, goodness. so fair warning. I think it's All Star, but Eyes of Heaven, Eyes of Heaven, um, is the one I'm thinking of, which actually does like have these moments of like play between all of the uh, the people from different generations. Like they've mm. they've got different supers depending on who you're fighting with, because of course it's an arena fighting game and things like that. It's it's very cute. I love it for how it tries to characterize the characters and how it brings their most famous moments kind of to life. The gameplay doesn't quite land for me personally, mm. but the story itself that they decided to go with is um, what if Dio had gotten even more power and it is a kind of escalation of power that is difficult to resolve and does end on the same bridge with the, the same like fight with star platinum essentially mm -hmm, like the mm -hmm. the end point for an escalation is always where it has already ended up because the exact like the power escalation aside the story has, still has to tell itself it still has to kind of end up that way mm -hmm. and so i don't really feel like power escalation is the proper way to go for the series even though some of the later like stands do get absolutely ridiculous like, you get into parts 7 and 8, and some of the abilities that they have are starting <laughs> to really get out there. But even, like, none of them... Like, if you were to have the world fight something from a later part, it would still probably hold its own. Yeah. there, There's a level of, like, power cap that is almost mm -hmm. established. And I think a lot of that is also um, in part due to how part four establishes rules for stands more than it has before. Like we've sort of seen it with like the um, the mention of part three, like long range, short range. Yeah, the, the power range trade-off that is so important to both the sun yes. and the lovers. Yeah, and now they start to play with that a little bit. Red Hot Chili Pepper, for example, is weak, but exists in numbers or a uh, worse company. Yeah, um, yeah. Which is just a good ass name. Company, for it. I think, is the official name uh, for the, in in much the same way that Dan of Steel <laughs> yes has supplanted the original name for for our purposes. Yeah, there is one coming up in part six that I will not mention for the time being, but its English name is perhaps my favorite translation in the entire series. Oh, I think I know which one you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> It's just, it's very, very much like the translator just went fuck it and went to lunch. Yeah. <laughs> but yep. like in a way that has left something for the ages. <laughs> um, but Worst Company establishing that a stand that is many things will not cause significant harm to the user if one or two of them are damaged. Yeah. It is a way of kind of bypassing that rule about like stands reflecting damage. So swarm type stands like... um. Uh, worst company or chili pepper end up being more dangerous simply because they're harder to get rid of. There is no way to handle yeah. all of them neatly. I, I think it's in the establishment of these kind of like alternate rules, like besides just the power range trade-off that really allow the stands to kind of continue on like almost a power base system that exists for future yeah. parts that really works. Cause it's just, you can retroactively apply it to what we've already seen and it mm -hmm, still mm -hmm. works. It was just not explored to its fullest. That's why fucking up the fool doesn't hurt Iggy too much. Exactly. Yeah. It's sand. It's grains it's a of sand. Of sand, yeah. And it's it's also why I think Akira's red hot chili pepper getting basically cut completely in half doesn't cause him to immediately also get Explode. cut in half. 
because yeah. he's electricity and he just gets more electricity and then his bottom half is back again. So like, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It, it works. It's it's a good kind of workaround for the rules that he's already established without disregarding them. Yeah. He's come a long way since Hamon. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but if there were a stand that could punch rocks through frogs, I wouldn't think about it too hard. Same. Yeah. <laughs> and, and is everybody exhausted with... Uh, uh... Their, their notes. Yeah, I think that's about it I, for me. I think that's my last one. I just have a lot more notes about uh, how Okuyasu is a good boy and deserves the best. But I think that goes <laughs> without saying. You were so excited. Like, okay, a, a little behind the scenes thing. I don't recall if I mentioned this before. Because we have a big backlog and because I feel bad about uh, uh, having our guests fall into the deep end, I provide them all with like advanced copies of of uh, uh, our our regular episodes for the parts that we invite them to talk about. Mm -hmm. You were so excited to hear us talk about the very good boy Okiasu (laughs) and hoping so much that we were immediately in love with him. That's, I mean, I want people to love my son, my beautiful boy, (laughs) my darling, my darling Okiasu, just because I have a severe soft spot for good-hearted dumbasses as one myself. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, no, anytime I get to this part, it's just like, I don't know if people uh, know what to expect with Okiyasu, since he is very much like the, the Kakyoin or the Polnareff who is defeated and immediately joins the party. Mm-hmm. But it's clear from the outset that he is not as villainous as yeah. anything we've seen relatively recently within the context of Jojo. He just he just wants to prove to his brother that he can be trusted and and can can take care of business, mm-hmm. even if that business is beating up his neighbor. <laughs> <laughs> I think like the defining character moment for me that kind of sold me on him, not when he gets double tapped in the face and nuts by a set of pots, though that is very very good end to the fight. I think it's when he follows him into the house. And keeps mm-hmm. hounding him with questions, because that does really <laughs> establish, like, he's not interested in the intrigue and all of that. He really just wants it. Hey, why did you heal me? That doesn't make sense. Yeah. you need. I need you to establish what's going on here. I'm not sure if I should be fighting you anymore. Yeah. Are we dating? <laughs> Tell me. Are we dating? It feels like Okuyasu, up to this point, has never had any friends because of his brother. And he is getting a very rapid crash course in his brain of what friendship is. Is. <laughs> He's processing it very loudly to other people in a haunted mansion. <laughs> yeah. Do yeah. we ever find out why he has baseball seams on his face? Never. Okay. <laughs> he just looks like that. There are some again, people that he just wasn't have born with them. They're not in his childhood pictures. Yeah. There are some people that just have inexplicable things on their faces. Mm-hmm. We never found out why uh, uh, Avdol has those squigglies coming down from his eyes, but then we also never saw his his like uh, eight year old Halloween costume pictures to <laughs> <laughs> to know that it wasn't there in the first place. Right? Yeah. I figure Okiyasu probably got in a fight at some point with a baseball and lost. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Keicho threw the baseball way too hard. And it was a big baseball. Left, it left was a, it was a massive baseball. Yeah, it just left a big dent on Okiyasu's face that never left. It's apparently not a health condition, or else he would have fixed it through through pasta. Yeah. <laughs> it's fine. I also, I don't think the pasta would heal anything like scars or things like that, if I'm being honest. Like, if I'm looking mm. at the scope of his powers, I, it feels more like active harm as opposed to wounds that have already healed. 
much in the same way that mm. I don't think Josuke could heal a scar to its original state. Maybe? Could he? I think he could. I think he could do I, that, I, yeah. If we're calling the process of making pasta damaging wheat. Yeah, <laughs> I guess that does. Then I hmm. think he could fix a scar. Yeah. That makes sense. It's also just nice to have a healer in the party. Yeah. We don't have these boys <laughs> with incredible metabolisms, allowing them to get up from losing all of their blood instantly. <laughs> but then they seem to have a lot to lose. Let me just boop that blood back in you. Just, there, there you go. <laughs> the blood's supposed to be on the inside. As long as it's there, we're fine. Yeah. I really like Crazy Diamond's power set, though. It's super cool, and it feels really well thought out like right from the get-go. And it mm-hmm. doesn't really ever undergo any massive changes to how it works. It undergoes um, re-evaluations to what he would expect of it perhaps yeah like ways he would think to use it but that's always the best is when you have a very simple power set that someone figures out how to exploit in a different way yeah josuke is out on like uh uh, he's playing football he's on the high school football team and when he slaps his teammates on the butt it's not just a friendly hello it like fix fixes their dislocated (laughs) fingers They're ready to go. Fixes their dislocated ass. You got, a, <laughs> you got a fucked up ass. I'm going to replace your ass. I'm the ass replacer. That's a very specific stand power, and I can't wait to see how it's utilized. <laughs> All right, now I am genuinely out of notes, though. Yeah. How do, how do we get through this biometric scan? I believe you've heard of my stand, the the ass replacer. <laughs> and yes, this door does scan asses. Well, it's it's only a ninety four percent match. His his ass is all wrong. This is not the guy we're looking for. <laughs> we're looking for the man with two left ass cheeks. <laughs> it's like that biometric scan section, Melgar Solid Two, but you're grabbing a guy and putting his ass up to the scanner instead. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, so before things get worse, uh, <laughs> PA Master, thank you again for, for uh, coming on uh, uh, the show. Is there anything you would like to point people at out in uh, the yeah, world? Yeah, I stream over at Twitch on PA underscore Master. Um, I'm live a couple times a week, but without any set schedule, except for I am always usually live on weekends if I can help it, and Sunday nights I host a show called, or I co-host a show called The uh, Arcade Pit, um, which is run by Smite, a friend, uh, twitch.tv slash Smite, S-M-I-G-H-T. Arcade Pit is super cool. I've actually got to participate in that later tonight. This is the first time I'm going to be playing instead of hosting. (gasps) excitement yeah Very exciting. i'm gonna get my ass kicked live <laughs> good good luck to you uh <laughs> thank you i'll need it we're gonna be right back with uh let's go to the manga artist's house part one and two and also let's go hunting episodes 14 through 16 mm-hmm. coming at you next week please enjoy yeah yes yes but, but before we go, while you are wa- going to uh, Twitch, PA underscore master, while you are watching Arcade Pit every uh, Sunday evening on uh, Smite's channel, S-M-I-G-H-T, uh, we'd also love it if people spread this show around, talk to your friends, talk to your family, talk to your contacts. Uh, it's December. The holidays are coming. Uh, <laughs> you want to make some small talk? Talk about this shit. Uh, but seriously, every once in a while, I get people 
people coming on my Twitter saying, oh, I just found out about uh, Bizarre Podcast Dogs Must Die. I'm so excited to, to catch up. This is a great show. And these are people who follow me and I plug incessantly like a fucking madman. <laughs> so when I say that word of mouth works, I'm, it, it is important. Mm-hmm. So uh, with that, please enjoy the rest of part four. To be continued. To be continued. See you, everybody.